Welcome back, everyone, to Kremlin File. This is season two. Hey, Olga! Welcome Hi. back. Yes, yeah, we're back I'm so happy rooms. to be back. <laughs> I yep. know, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We are. And we're stateside. We're stateside this, uh, for this season. And yep. uh, I'd like to introduce today's fabulous, fabulous guest to kick off all of season two, Malcolm Nance, who is a renowned analyst and consultant on terrorism, counterintelligence, U.S. special operations, and homeland security. He has 36 years in the field. So yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, he's just absolutely you knows what he's talking about. <laughs> exactly. He's also the New York Times best-selling author of several books, including The Plot to Destroy Democracy, The Plot to Hack America that came out in 2016, just before the election. He has a new book coming out. Um, yes. They want to kill Americans. The malicious terrorist and deranged ideology okay. of the Trump insurgency. And boy, this book could not have been coming out at a better time with everything that, you know, is uh, unfortunately happening in U.S. right now with the domestic terrorism threat. So without further ado. Hello, Malcolm. How are you? I'm fine. Good to be here. Hi, Malcolm. Yeah. Yay. Welcome. Yeah. And thank <laughs> you. See you thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. You're our hero, by the way. The title of your book, The Plot to Destroy Democracy, is perfect for our discussion today. You were the first person, Malcolm, to yep. sound the alarm about Russia and about its intent. And you went on MSNBC, I remember in July, on July the 25th of 2016, and you said that the U.S. is under attack in a wide-ranging, deep cyber and information warfare operation. Malcolm, what did you see that made you get to that point to say those? I mean, it's a strong statement. Especially when right? no one was making it. They, yeah, right. Nobody was saying it. Why, Malcolm? Um, the first thing that I saw was way back in February, I think, of 2016. Yeah, February 2016. I had just completed a book with my co-author, Chris Sampson, called Hacking ISIS. And one of the operations that took place uh, in, uh, I, I can't recall which year, I want to say 2014, but one of the operations that took place that was attributed to ISIS was the hacking of TV, I think it's TV5 TV in Paris and another uh, major international TV channel in Poland. And those two hackings were attributed to ISIS. But later analysis would show that, in fact, they were actually ATP, Advanced Persistent Threat 28, uh, and Advanced Persistent mm -hmm. Threat 29, which would be known, come to be famously known as Cozy Bear and Fancy Bear. They were Russian military intelligence and the Russian clandestine service, the SVR, carrying out cyber warfare attacks. So I had been introduced to those, you know, to those you know, uh, APTs much earlier than you know, the average person mm -hmm. in the news media you know, two, two years earlier. And we had documented that in our book. Our book came out in 2015, uh, where we had gone through all of ISIS's supposed uh, cyber warfare operations and found this fluke. You know, we had found that the Russians had done a false flag operation pretending to be ISIS with these 
advanced uh, cyber warfare suites. Those aren't actually people. They're not actually groups. They are actually systems that they use and deploy when they want to do a very certain thing. So in February 2016, a very interesting news story cropped up. And that was that there was a report that came from a guy uh, who've had a very, very, very fringe blog, right? From supposedly a uh, analyst by the name of Sorcha, uh, her name fails me right now, but it's a very unusual name. And uh, the person alleged that they had deep intelligence from the Kremlin that Vladimir Putin and his five top advisors had met together and had decided that they were going to release Hillary Clinton's, at that time, it was listed as 20,000 emails, the ones that she had kept away from, uh, you know, Mm. had deleted or kept away from the investigations because they were private emails. So this article struck me as a little bizarre because uh, to have internal knowledge of a debate at the top level of the Kremlin, you either have one, someone in the room is actually a spy, or two, this is a propaganda campaign that has been released by the Kremlin itself, mm-hmm. in, or three, it's an imaginary Tom Clancy made-up story. It can only be one of <laughs> right. those three right. things. There was no in-between on any of them. There's no gray area yeah. on any of them. Yeah, yeah. So this actually, this story went away. I had read it. Uh, and and that yeah. little funny story had gone away until about mid-April. And in mid-April, um, Fox News ran this story. It was Judge Napolitano had run this story mm-hmm. that the Kremlin had. Now, by that time, it had increased to 30,000 of Hillary Clinton's <laughs> emails. Uh, and that the Kremlin was debating, releasing the emails that they got, that they hacked and got away from Clinton. And I was actually bought onto hardball with Chris Matthews that night and asked to talk about this. And I, I re, someday I should really find the video for that because I was pulling my hair out. I was saying, look, no, this is impossible. This would be called crown jewels intelligence, right? This is the right. kind of intelligence we will never release that source if it's true. And anyone who reads it would go, whoa, I'm never saying this. I'm going to go to my grave with, with this information because it's just too implausible. If someone, one of the top five people or one of the note takers in that room, right, was reporting back to the United States, it certainly isn't going to come out on some bizarre uh, blog out in, right, you know, in right. the information sphere. But it had managed to worm its way to main, you know, to uh, primetime Fox News. And then primetime MSNBC had to refute it. And I was bought on board to refute wow. it. Now, at this time, two other events were occurring. One was, you might recall the old, mag- old online magazine Gawker, right? Which was, you know, mm-hmm. sort of a scandal yeah. rag, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek <laughs> uh, parody website. But Gawker had managed to receive some information um, related to a guy who claimed that he was a hacker, right? And that he had access to Hillary Clinton's emails. Now, I immediately became skeptical of that, but I was a big reader of Gawker because I like sarcasm and snark. So I, I watched this very carefully, and the article claimed that they had hacked into the DNC 
And they were releasing one document, the Democratic National Committee, opposition package for Donald Trump. And I immediately thought, okay, this is Karl Rove type material. Karl Rove would get the worst, most damaging thing about you and release it very mm -hmm. early and then ridicule how it was collected and released. So when I saw that, I thought, okay, now that's just bizarre. But the information appeared legit and that it was dropped off to Gawker Media was at the same time Peter Thiel, the billionaire, was suing Gawker Media out mm. of existence for the Hulk Hogan sex tape. So it appeared to be a carefully timed way of getting a package of real information into the hands of a media organization that had reach, but which was about to be obliterated and humiliated for its lack of credibility. And I said, mm. I said, these things are all starting to line up now. Um, yeah, and almost yeah. the same week, we got the first report that the Democratic National Committee had indeed been hacked and that information had been taken from its servers. And so that being said, uh, I, I, I started seeing a trend which started to spell out to me an intelligence, an intelligence community information warfare operation, but one that was being carried out by a foreign intelligence agency. And the only reason I know, I, I assume it's foreign, is because number one, that report about the Kremlin, okay, <laughs> means that it's, it's not only designed to get the information out, but it's also designed to flatter the people who would be allegedly mm -hmm. the people talking in secret in the Kremlin, to make the Kremlin look good, like they are real heroes. Right. They have this information. Right. And, uh, uh, and, and, and so then what its release in the United States made me feel like, okay, well, someone's feeding U.S. news media. So I had this juxtaposition of the Trump campaign with this Karl Rovian thing and the Russians with their supposed Vladimir Putin thing, and it worked its way to Fox News. Fast forward 30 mm. days. The, a guy would come out onto the Internet and claim that his name was Guccifer 2.0. The real and that he was a Romanian hacker who had all of the Democratic National Committee files. The real Guccifer was a Romanian who had gone out and he had hacked famous people's emails like Colin Powell and some others. And he had already been arrested, was in custody in the United States. So I said, well, this is an attempt to ride on the ignorance of what happened to Guccifer and to claim that Guccifer had comrades or associates who were now releasing this mm. dead man switch package because it was all released on the day that he was convicted and claimed that he was cooperating with the FBI. And I said, this stinks. This all, I said, this, hmm. this made me yep. look back to when I was like a baby intelligence officer, <laughs> intelligence chief, you know. Uh, and, you know, people say this, and it, Russia Today actually attacked me about this. They were calling me a quote-unquote Russia expert. I have never claimed to be a Russia expert. What I claim to be is a person who paid very close attention in the Cold War to my counterintelligence briefings, okay? <laughs> I saw, look, everywhere I went, it was KGB, right? They would brief wow. us on how the KGB did this kind of operation, how they did honey traps. You're going to see this kind of honey trap here in Naples. You're going to go up here to Salerno. You're going to see, you know, they, mm -hmm. they use, uh, you know, this technique. Uh, they go after cryptologists 
in Naples, right? And you're like, what? Mm-hmm. And, but, mm-hmm. you know, when you got these defensive counterintelligence briefings from the National Security Agency or from uh, whatever other agency, Defense Intelligence Agency, uh, the FBI counterintelligence, National Security Division counterintelligence, you had, I took them very seriously. And I listened to those operations. Also, in my part of the world, the Russians were embedded everywhere. They were carrying out activities left, right, and center. Now, I can't describe any of those activities, but I had to be very aware of them because even though it may involve Russian naval assets or the KGB in Cairo, it would relate to my mission with Egyptian intelligence, uh, who were the bad guys back then. And, you know, Egyptian naval operations versus U.S. naval operations versus the Israelis. So we had to pay attention to this stuff. So I started seeing this pattern. I go, this really feels Cold War. This really feels KGB. I said, it's it's one of those old disinformation campaigns, only it's moving Mm. very quickly. And so the Mm. U.S. news media was being enamored by Gucci for 2.0, even though some journalists were saying, Hey, wait a minute. You know, some cyber uh, analysts were saying, hey, this guy's typing on a Cyrillic keyboard. OK, he's not mm-hmm. typing. You know, Romanian is a language that's extracted from Italian. Right. It's, it's a Latin based yeah. language, yeah. you know, and we have the we have ways of determining which keyboard it is, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm. told s- some of these cyber uh, information people that this was actually a Russian person pretending to be Romanian. And so they would hit him with r- right. Romanian words. And he wouldn't seem to know them or there'd be a big, long pause (laughs) until he went to Google Translate and would come back, you know, and would be typing in these Romanian words without the accents, right, on a Cyrillic keyboard. So that threw, I mean, I was like, I'm dead certain of this. The Russians are completely behind the Democratic National Committee. And that's when I started carefully watching what was going on with WikiLeaks. So by the middle of July... We started, WikiLeaks came out and made an announcement that they had all of this information. And when WikiLeaks made that announcement, I said, oh, there we are, laundromat. This is an old KGB technique. Mm. And when WikiLeaks said, we acquired all of these emails, they didn't say we hacked them. They said, we acquired them. I was like, okay, that's very interesting. And the day that I became absolutely positively convinced that something was going on, is that I had heard a rumor from someone I knew in Washington, D.C., that there had been an off-the-books National Security Council meeting um, uh, with the president, and it was the commander of mm. uh, the director of NSA, the director of CIA, director of national intelligence, mm-hmm. and the, the lead elements for cyber command in the FBI. And it had taken place about 72 hours before WikiLeaks' announcement. WikiLeaks said they were going to wow. announce on that Friday. And that wow. this meeting had taken place mm-hmm. on Monday or Tuesday, and it was not on the books. And I immediately thought, "Aha! This is what we call <laughs> up, this is what we call upstreaming." Okay, upstreaming is when mm. you have intelligence that you know is coming. Okay, but you have it, uh-huh. and you're now briefing and preparing defensively first. And so I said, well, they announced that WikiLeaks is having this. Why would the president need to speak to Cyber Command, NSA, which is, right, intercept. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, and cyber warfare, because they probably ha- saw the handoff. 
between the Russians and WikiLeaks. Mm, wow. You know, okay. and, they, you know, we're not stupid. OK, I worked no. at Fort Meade yeah. and for yeah. Fort Meade for almost 20 years. OK. And, uh, you know, I worked in the building for six. So, you know, it's it, 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 any imagined capability that you might have seen in the movies actually does exist. OK. Wow. So we would okay. have known after the DNC had been hacked, after they had determined that it was Fancy Bear and Cozy Bear, which is Russian military intelligence, it would have become a national security issue. NSA would have been the lead mm -hmm. agency. The FBI would have handled anything internally in the United States. The CIA would, you know, shake the trees for its human intelligence assets. <laughs> but and then we would have talked to our counterparts at GCHQ, right? The British National right. Intelligence, you know, the version of NSA, to see whether they... Now, another thing that may have happened is, and I don't know, I'm just speculating, GCHQ in a defensive, you know, they don't have the same laws that we have, okay? Mm -hmm. They can do a yeah. lot of things we can't do. Really? Uh, yeah, really? well, freedom of speech is not enshrined in there. In their, they don't have a constitution. Yeah, no. Well, they don't have you a know? constitution. There's, there's a lot of things. I mean, they have an official secrets <laughs> act, you know, so... They have Ooh, the ability to collect in their country in a way that we do not in our country without without the level of courts. So I don't know. They may have actually seen the handoff or another agency from another allied nation may have mm. seen the handoff or they may have been tipped off by a human intelligence asset. Hey, there was a handoff of some cyber data to WikiLeaks. I don't know. I'm merely mm -hmm. speculating. But something happened. And, something. and so 72 to 96 hours before WikiLeaks handoff came off. I was told that there was a very, you know, very Im important major cyber meeting at at the White House. And so I said, well, if they're meeting, you know, I don't know whether it was at the White House either, but there was a meeting. And I said, then something is coming down downstream. Right. I need to right. wait and see what's coming downstream. And what happened downstream was WikiLeaks announcement on Friday that they had all of yeah. Hillary Clinton's emails. Right. Yeah. Now, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. said. This all, this all literally connects from February. Well, it actually connects from when, you know, Fancy Bear and Cozy Bear pretended to be ISIS a few years earlier. And, yeah, um, you yeah. know, right through this, this report in February, right through Judge Napolitano's report, you know, right through Gawker to Gucci for 2.0, right? And right to WikiLeaks. And I... And I, I said, okay, we're under attack. We're under attack. Wow. Whatever's about to happen is an wow. attack. It wow. is not WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks just, they themselves said they just got it from a source. And that source was supposedly Gucci for 2.0. They lied. They obfuscated. And, you know, one of the things that I knew at the time that a lot of news media didn't know was Julian Assange was a rabid, rabid libertarian. <laughs> And he was he hated yeah. Hillary Clinton, yeah. hated her with a white hot yeah. passion. And so, um, you know, this this Greenwaldish libertarian attitude was screw yeah. you guys. You know, I'm going to take you down and make, you know, and, and, and break, break Hillary Clinton. But like all KGB operations. Right. And I say KGB in the Cold War term because, you know, yeah. that's my basis mm -hmm. of knowledge. Um, you're going to need to not just push this information out, okay? You're going to need it to have credibility and then get it into the mainstream media information sphere. The internet has right. now moved 
to that speed to where these kind yeah. of information warfare operations yeah. can happen. I went on air uh, in front of Independence Hall uh, on the 25th, and I said, hey, I, and, and Joy Reid, first time I ever really met her, uh, she had no idea what I was, I was there to say. She said, Malcolm, you have to say something? I said, yes, the United States is under attack <laughs> in, a, in an information, disinformation oh, warfare <laughs> by Russia to elect Donald Trump president. She looked at me like I was crazy. But two, <laughs> like da two days later, <laughs> Donald decks. Trump says, WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks, release yeah. all yeah, your 30, now 33,000. <laughs> Malcolm, that actually, <laughs> you took me to the next question. So we know what WikiLeaks did. Then we see yeah. Trump running around. WikiLeaks, uh, if you have the emails, release them. He must have said WikiLeaks, like probably, I mean, that was probably his second most said word over the campaign. <laughs> we yeah. saw Roger Stone running around with uh, Guccifer 2.0, communicating mm -hmm. back and forth. and other Right, which was the GRU, right? Yeah. And we saw <laughs> yeah. other people in the campaign and and... I mean, what is the significance of that? Like, and how do you think they knew what that one, what WikiLeaks was doing? Two, is WikiLeaks a cutout for Russian intelligence? Well, they absolutely were. And let me see if I have a copy of this. All was chronicled in my first, my first Trump Russia book, which was Plot to Hack America. Yeah. The first book was yeah. a, a, a very quick brain dump of everything that I knew, everything that I had seen, and then I built up how would the Russian intelligence information warfare operation sell, which is what I called it, right? Yeah. Um, how yeah. would that cell be organized? How would it have to be organized? And mm. so I, I, I sat down and I said, I've done operations similar to this, okay? How <laughs> would this go? And what I sketched out was you have Vladimir Putin, which is the national command authority. He is going to task this out to subordinate commands. And those subordinate commands are going to be one to the GRU, who, you know, already spent mm -hmm. a year in the servers of the DNC. So when I CloudStrike put out their first notice, I want to say it was end mm -hmm. of March. And they had said that they had, may have been in the servers for a year. Which means, okay, you go out and you wow. create a timeline. You go, let's go back a year. That year is when they started operations. Now it'll probably take you six months to plan the operation, put the resources in together. And in Plot to Hack America, I spell this all out. In the chapter called in the, the Launch of the Cyber Bears, right, or Attack of the Cyber Bears. And the first thing it says is how to organize an election theft. <laughs> that's that's hey, the right the Kremlin plan to elect the president, <laughs> and um, you know, and so um, <clears throat> the strategic objectives I I put in there were damage Hillary Clinton and Obama if possible, if possible see her lose the election. That will always be the first thing that someone will do, which is set the strategic results that we want from this type of operation. So. Um, and of course, Putin hated her. So uh, another objective should mm -hmm. be the candidate should the candidate should damage the NATO alliance and push for its realignment. Now, one thing I want to yeah. caution watchers about this book: this book was printed and released eight weeks before the election. Okay, yep. so and 
couple of years before Donald Trump made it pretty clear that, or a year, that he really wanted to damage NATO badly. He had said a few things that had given us the indicators. Uh, so I took that out of, uh, from that. The next objection is, the next objective is advocate for or repatriate ethnic Russian regions. Putin had managed back in 2014 to bring Donald Trump on his side for Crimea and to talk mm-hmm. about how Crimea was an mm-hmm. ethnic Russian region, mm-hmm. to use this exact wording. Trump would use his exact words. And next, yep. of yeah. course, keep yeah. America out of Ukraine in particular. I mean, when you read mm-hmm. this now, five years I later. Know. It's like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, yeah. well, it's of course, there. he spent four it's, years. It's uncanny. It's four true. years yeah. doing this. So the information warfare management cell would have been the intelligence team that would have been assembled to operate, to manage all aspects of the disinformation campaign in the United States. Phase one, make contact, befriend, and encourage the asset. Phase two, make the asset (laughs) feel indebted to Russia. Phase three, conduct covert cyber intelligence preparation of the battle space. Phase four, prepare Uh the political battle space. Phase five, develop and sustain supporting political propaganda. Phase six, fund and manipulate a cutout asset to disperse the compromat information. Phase seven, execute the compromat operation. I said, well, for all of those phases to take place, this one had to have occurred Mm -hmm. way before 2015. So I Mm -hmm. timelined each one of these phases out and I found each one of the precipitating events and discovered that this operation tacitly started in 2012. And where it started was the night that Mitt Romney lost and Donald Trump, and this is actually Mm. in plot to uh, destroy democracy. And Donald Trump was angry. And um, one of Putin's closest cronies was was able to communicate with him in private DMs on Twitter. And he said, Donald, if you're ready to run for president, we're with you. And Trump tweets back a picture of him in his private jet, double thumbs up. One week later, he launches Make America Great Again Pack. And then... that was in 2012. That was in 2012. Yeah. Yeah, because in 2013, of course, the Russians would have been debating this. And um, um, Miss Universe was November 2013. Donald Trump starts prepping for Miss Universe, and all of these characters that are assigned to him are apparently KGB adjacent or FSB adjacent or SVR adjacent. Most interesting is the management team for the Internet Research Agency, as we've later learned, stood up in September of 2013. And they started hiring English linguists and English line managers between September and 2013 and January 2014. In the meantime, in November, Donald Trump lands in Moscow, meets with the 12 richest men in Russia, including re- yep. uh, uh, including re- representatives right. of Vladimir Putin, walks out of there thinking he has a multi-billion dollar tower. At the same time, this idiot's thinking he can buy Vladimir Putin <laughs> with a $50 million penthouse at the top of a Trump tower. 
right? The guy who's got <laughs> maybe as much as 200, 200 billion. Yeah. This man sold the More. city of St. Petersburg. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When he was a, when he was sure, a fresh KGB lieutenant colonel. You know, he bought the Russian mafia <laughs> under control. But hey, it's a gold gaudy tower. <laughs> a penthouse. Put this way, it's like, what the And he thought he was going to buy Vlad- Vladimir Putin. But all of the, all <laughs> of the data, as you see it, you have to yep. push the timeline back. Yeah. If the Internet Research Agency just didn't stand up for fun, what was it standing up for in September of 2013? <laughs> Why did yeah. Donald Trump have all these Russian, adjac- yeah. Russian intelligence adjacent hot chicks around him when he was meeting for this in Los Angeles and other places? Then, you know, he mm-hmm. meets with the 12 richest oligarchs. He comes out of there and he's spouting Kremlin policy lines. <laughs> But the only thing that I got really, really, really wrong in here was the number of people that I thought would be operating in the information warfare management cell. And that's principally because I I thought that the Russians would do like us, that they would keep all of their assets within the top secret world. So they would go over to, you know, Russian media and they would be hiring, you know, people who were English linguists out of the armed forces and things like that, when in fact, they subcontracted a whole agency, (laughs) right? And created it to act as the unclassified or or confidential level feeder into the internet. Now, there may have been as many, I estimated that the information warfare management team, the entire operation, would have been about 300 people, including you know, people on watch for vacation. Mm. And that w- probably stands correct. What I didn't know is the Internet Research Agency may have been between 500 and 1,000 English linguists mm-hmm. tapping like monkeys on keyboards. Okay. And I should have right. thought about that, but we don't, we don't operate that way. But I realize now Russia owns those people. So they're not yeah. going to say anything. They're going to oh, step in like front of a truck. they all day. Yeah, and you know, you're yeah, going to take a lot. All day, they'll type away like yeah. a million characters or, all day. Or you can take a long God walk knows. out of a short yeah. window balcony, right? I, exactly. So, so, so that's how we yeah. got, that's how I got to September 23rd when my book landed, President Obama, on the exact same day. I wrote that thing in four weeks, um, dumping, dumping everything I had in there. All the players were correct. All of the assets were correct. The timeline is correct, Um, way more correct than most people know. And then when I wrote my third book, Plot to Betray Mm -hmm. America, I go deeper with that timeline back to what The Guardian had found, that he had been under KGB surveillance as early as 1977. But, you know, all his detractors are out there going, you're saying he was a Russian spy. I go, being under surveillance and being a spy are two different things. The dossier they must have bought to Putin, though, had to have been, like, thick. Because they were speaking, it's just like, Vladimir Vladimirovich, we had to go to the archives. (laughs) And then I found out that Mm -hmm. they pretty much owned all of the right-wing, anti-immigrant, racist, fascist movements in Europe are all financially tied to United Russia. And that they tied those people to the American evangelical movement? And then the alt-right, I was yep. shocked. I was like, oh, they bought yep. the NRA wholesale, right? And put a spy mm. yep. 
And I alleged that in that book very early on, that Maria Butina was selling furniture in Siberia when she was 21. And at 23, she's the deputy of Right to Bear Arms, right? Yeah, Organization no, in Moscow. And I go, wait, how long, how long is the Yuri Andropov School of Clandestine Service basic training program? About a year. <laughs> and she went to Ukraine first before she came to America. Oh, yeah. Well, she ran the operations in Ukraine and then came to America. You know, I, I always describe these. Uh, you know, I got sued by uh, what was her name? Um, oh, God, I know. Svetlana um, Lukova. Svetlana, right? um, Svetlana yeah. Lukova. She went after me, too. Oh, did she? Did, she went, she's gone after so, everybody. Did she go after somebody else too that we know? Yeah, she Joy goes Reed, after everyone. She goes after CNN, everybody. <laughs> and she everyone. got, okay. I got right. sued. So just, beware. I got sued by Svetlana Lukova for <laughs> a joke that I had said that in the intelligence community, we refer to the really smart ones as Natasha's, right? Which is a takeoff of, of Natasha Fatal. <laughs> You know, from Rocky and Bullwinkle, and the really, you know, the 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 the, the honey pots, we refer to them as Svetlanas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she was Flynn's honey pot. Yeah, well, well, and, and her whole thing was is that she goes, "You called me an agent. You oh, called me right. a honey pot." This is a woman that sued Cambridge University for equal opportunity, and then I it, it also educated me to the fact that the Russians use lawyers now. All right. They hire Western lawyers to get what they want. Lawfare. Uh, they're they're in the modern yeah. world. They yeah. have money. And so um, <laughs> but she's not part of this story. I just wanted to mention Svetlana because, you know, so, you know, these <laughs> will probably all get through. <laughs> well, she you know, she you know, she shares the lawyer with uh, Nunes. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Stephen Biss. No, and with really, QAnon. with Dan Nunes. Yes, yeah, Stephen Biss is QAnon, yeah. uh, uh, Nunes, and um, he did, sued everybody, including a poor well, Twitter cow, for Twitter Nunes cow. for free. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is uh, her, the lawyer she oh, uses yeah. to sue everybody. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, that yeah. story's going to come Probably out. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sue her. <laughs> All I know is she just besmirched my character by suing me. The best part is she never actually served me. So the judge actually says in the in the trial transcript in the in the hearings on it, he goes, um, you you he goes, what's the standing of Mr. Nance? And they go, Oh, Mr. Nance can't be found. And he goes, Well, Mr. Nance apparently can be found on television every night. <laughs> and she goes, did you, in fact, actually try to serve him? And it turns out they didn't even try. It was all just, let's wow. put his name up there, wow, a, smear just a smear thing. Campaign. And yeah. they weren't even going to process yeah, servers are like, what, 200 bucks? <laughs> and I am not asserting that she works time. for the Kremlin yeah. or that she, in fact, had any other you know, activities which may be construed as intelligence activities, even though her name is Svetlana. And now it's time for a quick break for a different kind of history lesson. Here's how the story usually goes. Wealthy individuals use the same secret asset class to grow their wealth for generations. It's the asset that nearly every billionaire from Bill Gates to Oprah Winfrey covet above nearly above all else. 
It might just be the most overlooked asset class in the world. I'm talking about the art market. The elite have been tucking away a good chunk of their wealth, 10 to 30% on average, into artwork that's traditionally been way out of reach for regular folks. Why? Because you and I can't exactly afford to run out and buy a $20 million Warhol or Picasso. But there is one company rewriting this history, Masterworks. They're the latest New York City fintech unicorn that's democratizing the art market. Masterworks is the first alternative investing platform that allows everyone to invest in paintings from artists like Basquiat, Picasso, and Banksy. Don't let history repeat itself. Start investing in world-class art at masterworks.art slash Kremlin file. You can also see important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. Would Trump have won without the Russians helping him? No, not at all. Hillary Clinton lost by 45,000 votes in three precincts. It was the information deluge and how the Russians manipulated U.S. media by using their fake cutout. But, you know... It, the operation by the Russians was so deep. Again, going after the evangelicals way back in 2012 and creating those defensive Christianity conferences. Uh, Frank, they co-opted Franklin Graham yeah. completely. He is a good friend of Vladimir Putin. Yeah. And then going after yep. the NRA. I mean, it's like, it's almost as if those decades of KGB um, social studies in Russia, because as you guys know, yeah, everything in Russia, all academic study was for the state. And so there's probably mountains of studies of the United States demographics, the fault lines in, in social norms, sure. um, you know, the, the, the beleaguered state of evangelicals, all that. And now you add that with money, right? With, a, with agencies and oligarchs who will spend their money for your state, and you can actually carry out the Gerasimov doctrine, which is the manipulation of a nation's uh, perceptions in such a way that they will welcome an invasion uh, uh, by a foreign power. I actually said wow. that. Malcolm, is that I actually the, said that on yeah. 11th hour one time. And interestingly, the next day, who calls me up? Matt Taibbi from Rolling Stone. And I go, that's how you man, what's up? And uh, this is a good story. (laughs) And he's just like, hey, that thing you said about the Russians yesterday, where did you get that? And I go, and I suddenly realized, this is, you know, I ran a a school where we we train people on how to resist hostile interrogation, right? So I go, this is a hostile (laughs) interrogation. This is, there's nothing friendly about this at all. He is now attacking my fundamental statement last night. That's sort of weird. All of this is in Plot to Destroy Democracy. And uh, he goes, where did you get that? Mm-hmm. And I go, well, I go, well, I wrote it all in my book. And he goes, yeah, but what are your sources? Yeah. And I'm like, well, if you spend $28.99, you can have all my sources. <laughs> you can actually go in there and read that. <laughs> and, you know, and he was just like, well, I was in Russia in the 1990s and <laughs> and then like i you know notes. while he's doing that he was a wild boy after in the Russia. phone call notes, okay? i realized i looked it up he had been there and had tried to start like some parody magazine and he, he was, was on this mm. like 
tour of Russian, you know, relationships. Let me put it that way. I won't say anything that's libelous. So he goes, where did you get that? And I said, I said, why are you being so confrontational about this? He goes, well, there's nothing written about that. There's nothing that says that the Russians intended to take over brainwashed populations. I go, you know, it's got a name. It's called the Gerasimov Doctrine. And he goes, well, (laughs) where would you get something like this? So I go. And you know, I'm talking to one right now on the phone. I said, I'm going to throw you a solid, and then that's going to be it. It's the NATO handbook on Russian information warfare. There's a whole manual. (laughs) Several hundred pages. I actually got it in original source Russian military academic documents. It's in the the references in the book. And he goes, well, just because a couple of academics in the Russian army say it doesn't mean that they actually are doing it to us. And I go... It's a effing top secret hidden program. I know a, th- a thousand <laughs> operations I've been involved with, which you will never, ever, ever know. I will die with those things in my head. I said, but those academic studies are the pencil outlines of the thing that they have already apparently successfully achieved with you. <laughs> so he's a very, very interesting character. But boy, he loves him some Russia. And but he loves the fictionalized 1990s version of Russia, okay, where everything was uh, you know Great Gatsby esque, when in fact you know Russia's being run mm-hmm. more American psycho esque with heads inside of refrigerators. Fire on the Malcolm, rocks. are you going to tell us? <laughs> yes. What are you going to tell us about your new book? Yes. Uh, Are you going to give us a little little teaser? Yeah, well, I can tell you about it now because it's been released for pre-order now, even though it's not actually going to be available for seven months. And that's not (gasps) us. uh, The book was Mm -hmm. completed last July. They're the three largest actual printing press houses in the world went under in China during COVID. Yeah. And so they're actually having to stand up American printing presses. Uh, to to carry out these, you know, to get books printed. So, but the book, don't worry, because the story's not going away. It's called They Want to Kill Americans, The Malicious, <laughs> Terrorist, and Deranged Ideology of the Trump Insurgency. And interestingly yeah. enough, it was called The Coming Trump Insurgency. Oh, wow. I had to mm. remove coming from the subtitle because the insurgency is too. here. I, I was and on real are- time with Bill Maher on November 6th, Mm-hmm. Just after the election, uh, they were just calling it for Biden that evening in California. And Bill was a great, who's, who I love, Bill Maher, is real contrarian. But he, he, he said, you know, we got to do the kumbaya thing. We got to reach out to these people, show them that we're all Americans. And I said, well, I got some bad news for you. They're ready I to said, pitchfork us. <laughs> I said, we are going into an insurgency a political and paramilitary insurgency. And he looked at me incredulously and he go, and I said, where Donald Trump is Saddam Hussein. And he goes, you mean like, like an insurgency, like in Iraq? And I go, well, yeah, we already got Kuday and Uday and Kusay, his sons, you know, out there. But I said, these people are not surrendering. These people are planning for violence. And we talked about that for a good piece of the show. Well, 62 mm. days later was January later. 6th. 
So phase one of the insurgency was Trump's deny campaign. I, I break the campaign out into four phases. D-A-R-F, deny, attack, revenge, and fear. And wow. I thought that we would be at least two years from the part where we would be fear. And we may, in fact, still be holding off of that. But deny that Donald Trump was denied, mm-hmm. the, was, the, was, was not elected. Deny Joe Biden's legitimacy. Deny that America is what liberals call it. All of that is the deny phase. Attack those people. <clears throat> Attack the concepts and the policies and the individuals who you oppose. Attack them personally. And then revenge mm-hmm. against anyone that breaks ranks mm-hmm. in the organization. What we're waiting for now is the fear phase. And that's where the paramilitary guns things start. That's where people start mm, exploding right. bombs. That's where people start taking over state houses and then find that the state brings the police and the National Guard to protect you because they agree with mm. you in your Occupy, you know, Occupy state yeah, house. Yeah, there's a lot of infiltration. Where they deny federal jurisdiction in areas, in remote areas. Not, you know, not unlike the occupation of the Malhor Wildlife Refuge, but this time, like all the federal buildings in Oklahoma. So that is the next phase. My problem is, is that this thing came so fast. Um, all yeah. the phases were almost run through by the time I turned the manuscript in. And all we are waiting for really now is the fear phase. And it shows how QAnon took over the Republican Party. The Republicans were just trying to get them for their votes. <clears throat> and um, and it, it, it consumed them. And Q, Q symbols are technically not allowed around Trump campaigns. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. They have broadened yeah. out to where they are now the ideological base of the Republican Party. So <clears throat> every one of those yeah. groups is detailed in there in the entire history of the white power movement in the United States. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a very unhappy book. I normally end my books on a very on a hopeful note, usually evoking mm-hmm. my Philadelphian patriotic, constitu- originalist, constitutionalist yeah. Yeah. And, uh, roots, and not this book. This book What do you see happening bad. going forward? And do you think Democrats are understand, does the party understand yeah. what we are dealing with? I, th- I think because we're getting- it doesn't feel like it. I think we're getting it now that we've got the whole standing up for democracy. We just need to understand that these people are, you know, we're, we're you know, Matt Getz, has a better chance of being Speaker of the House, okay, than oh, Jesus um, than than uh, any of the moderate Republicans. Yeah. Um, in fact, their pl- plan, uh, Jason Johnson called this about eight months ago. They fully intend to put make Donald Trump Speaker of the House, so that he can have Nancy Pelosi's seat, office, and gavel while he runs for president. If they yeah, win that, the House, that will happen, and he pushing. will lead the impeachments of. President Harris, uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris. And do you see us being able to reverse it in enough time? Because clearly law enforcement's having a problem with it. The problem Mm -hmm. is, is that these people have the perfect camouflage. They're white. They're generally male. They are scattered throughout the population. And they are as much as 40% of this country's actual, you know, public, voting public. So you're talking... 71 million Americans, 
30, uh, what was it? Um, 25% of Trump voters said that, or 30% of Trump voters said that violence is acceptable to overthrow the government. So what's 30% of 71? It's about 25 million, right? Mm -hmm. Start with that number. That's your radical base right there. Let's say that 1,000 of 1% of them want to actually do something. Well, that's 2,500. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's the guys who really yeah. want to kill people. Okay, that's, that's a, a lot, lot bigger people. than, than Al Qaeda yeah. was at one time. Yeah. Wow. All right, so we know Russia, just to like compile everything together, we know Russia helped Trump get into the White House. We know that when Trump got into the White House, he spent four years pandering to Putin. Um, you know, doing his foreign policy bidding, uh, domestically imploding the country and doing using pretty much KGB tactics to implode America. Um, And basically, he was a puppet for Putin. Um, What happens with our law enforcement? Uh, It's a twofold question, so we could just turn it into one uh, one question, two parts. One, how did our law enforcement miss this attack? And, you know, and I mean, then Trump took control of them. How much damage would have been done to our CIA, to our NSA, to, you know, our agencies? The second part is we're on insurrection right now, you know, and all the talk is about insurrection. And it feels the fact that we had a president installed by Russia It's just like old news. No one wants to hear it. Do you ever see prosecutions in the future for that? Do you see any kind of accountability for all the people who were? Donald Trump was never investigated for counterintelligence purposes. He wasn't. So in Plot to Destroy Democracy, uh, there's a section in here which explains why Trump is sort of like a dupe, uh, but does Moscow's bidding. And the chapter is, uh, section is called How Trump's Decisions Were Made for Him. And it's the mm-hmm. next to the last chapter. is chap- chapter 14 called The Treasonous Aspect. NATO practitioners and Russian active measures in cyber warfare are given a study so that they understand their ideological opponents in the information mm-hmm. warfare battle space. The Handbook on Russian Information Warfare is a brilliant study which introduces the practitioner to the formerly Soviet, now Russian concept of reflexive control. NATO defines it as, quote, the practice of predetermining an adversary's decision in Russia's favor by altering key factors in the adversary's perception of the world. Of the world. So mm-hmm. if they want you to make decisions for Russia, they don't tell you Russia's awesome. They let you <laughs> hang around hot Russian women all day. Right. Right. They put, Mm -hmm. they create an information sphere around you. The NATO handbook states, quote, control of an opponent's decision is achieved by means of providing him with the grounds by which he is able to logically derive his own decision, but one that is predetermined by the other side. That Mm -hmm. is why you can't get Trump for being a spy or an asset or a resource, whatever you want to call him. I call him an un. I said he was an unwitting Unwitting. asset at first, and he became Mm -hmm. a witting asset. He knew Russia was working for him. He knew they were working in his interest. And as the Mueller report states, uh, they were 
were aware of it, were aware of the benefits of it, and accepted it. But that was not criminal. That was not collusion. Okay. And usually that was, the that was not best Russian, the best Russian intelligence operations are kept above the fray yeah. to prevent it from now, going to the sure. criminal. Between side. you and me, nothing, nothing, nothing says that you know that that key piece of of you know intelligence won't come out from a foreign agency or or the hmm. Biden administration yeah. showing where they determined hey we have the phone call where they passed the information yeah. on to Konstantin Kalimnik uh now saying hey I'm passing this on to my boss we can use this you know against the Americans Manafort works for me you know or or something mm-hmm. along that line yeah um uh, and then you could go after Manafort for other crimes. You know, he only got off for the, you know, the crimes that he, you know, tax he, yeah, tax evasion. <laughs> uh, State of New York's coming after him. So, you know. But do you ever see like this country addressing mm. what happened no. in a very serious manner? No. Or do you no. see it just kind of being swept under the rug and eventually these people will go down, but it'll be like insurance fraud or Yeah, the Al you know, the Al Capone something method, like, that. like like but where yeah, where it's like they, you know, eventually get prosecuted for crimes, but not for actually a comprehensive, you know, discussion of what happened. Right now we are struggling to control even the keys to the offices of the US government. Because all of this yeah. could disappear from all history next year if the Republicans take control yeah. of it. So, you yeah. know, yeah. no matter how yeah, loyal your Russia, civil servants then, are, we have yeah, a bigger internal mind. problem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 All right. So that was my question. Mo, you wanted to wrap up? Yeah, I just want to wrap up with this this uh, this last one. Just to, to end off on a more positive uh, note. Uh, let me just read this part here because I think it's fantastic. It's a great way to, to end this all off. America and Europe, Europe over here, America hey. and Europe are, are now joined in a common danger, a philosophy that could easily consume our enlightened histories. It is our duty to stand up and counterattack this mortal threat to our freedom and liberty. All who love freedom and liberty as they were given to us at the birth of the herald of democracy, must hold fast and shout out the maxim of the United States Army. This I'll defend. The salvation of the greatest political democracy in the world, in the history of the world, is in our hands. We are the cavalry that we've been waiting for. Now stop reading. Go forth and Malcolm. Yeah, save, save. democracy. There you go. There you go. What I wrote that you have for five years people? ago, and <laughs> I, I may have yeah. to put that out it. on Twitter. <laughs> you know, I'm yes, it, it, we've got to. <laughs> well, I saw your tweet today. We, we really got to commit. Or was to it the, yesterday? Yeah, I put yes. a little bit out of it yesterday, but we really, yep. really need to recommit to yesterday. the defense of democracy here. And I hope you guys help. Yes. Yeah, we're on we board. are trying. <laughs> we are on board. Hey everybody, if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and please visit our website, kremlinfile.com. This is a Bunker Crew Media production, hosted by Olga Lautman and me, Monique Kamada, with executive producers Marley Clements, Jack Bryan, Grant DeSimone, Ben Brett, and Jordi Mycellus of Midas Media. 
with associate producers Ruby Frankel and Sarah Metz. Theme music by Oreste Camargo. Sound editing and mixing by Joy Ellett. Subscribe to Kremlin File wherever you listen to podcasts. Russia, if you're listening, get your troops and tanks away from Ukraine. We're watching. Russia, if you're listening, bring Grant back. <laughs> I know. Oh, <laughs> He's <God>. back. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs>